Let's all pray as we turn to God's word to Psalm 35. Let's pray. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we do come before you as we open your word. Lord, we open your word to a passage um, that has, Lord, some difficulties in our minds and how we would understand and know you better and know your nature and know your holiness and your righteousness when we are not. But that we would know because of Jesus Christ, we stand righteous and blameless before you, beloved. Lord, may we know him May we know His grace this morning. May each and every one present know personally that today. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we will be looking to Psalm 35. I'll read it for us. Uh, Do not fear. We will probably not be able to work through every word in Psalm Psalm 35 this morning. It is rather long, but I will read it, beginning at verse 1. Of David, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and the javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me, without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it, and let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction." Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in His salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from Him who is too strong for Him, the poor and the needy from Him who robs Him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction. 
my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng I will praise you. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our hearts desire. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Well, there's a few changes today. We have Evan with us. And as of today, I am no longer on staff at Neely's Creek ARP Church, but I am rather a World Witness missionary with my wife, Trish. It begins today, and I've received our marching orders. So January 1st was the date, and so my wife and I are missionaries to the UK. We will be departing shortly for that. This passage, though, this passage, it's not fictitious in any way, shape, or form. It's not exaggerated in any way, shape, or form. It's exactly how it is reported is exactly how it happened, because this is God's Word. If this was a story that had been written down by a human author... If this was a fictitious story, I think that it would look much different. I think that if Tolkien or one of the great authors of fiction had written this down, I think it would have looked different. I think David would have looked different. I think his actions would have looked different. What do I mean by that? I mean this, I think that if this had been written down, not being God's word, it had been written down as a story to, honor, to, to bring honor to David, what would that have looked like? I think we would have seen David staring blankly into a fire. I think we would have seen him gritting his teeth. I think we would have seen him with rage in his heart. I think we would have seen him very meticulously thinking about the revenge that he would be exacting upon his 
enemies. I think we would see him reflecting on the words that had been spoken to him, the shame that had been brought upon him. And then I think in the shadows, his enemies would arise. And then we would hear iron upon iron as David's sword was removed from his scabbard. And then the scene would close. David standing victorious over his enemies, his mighty men around him, and saying, this is what happens when you bring shame to David. But that's not what this account speaks of. It speaks of a David who comes before the Lord. It speaks of a David who cries out to God for help. It speaks of a David who recognizes that only righteous judgment can be exacted from a righteous God. And so he cries out to the Lord and he says, Lord, you have seen these things that have come to pass. I know you have. Lord, come to my aid. In verse 1, it says, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Another word here is strive. What he's saying is, Lord, let my hands be folded And Lord, you take up this battle. You strive against my enemies for me. Lord, will you fight for me? Will you fight this fight? Will this battle, will it not belong to you? Will you not be the victor? That's not necessarily how we would how we would think about what we would do if we were in David's place. Because if we had been wronged, and we are wronged quite regularly in this life, and we do wrong to others, by the way, as well, we tend to react in a couple of different ways. When we are wronged, we tend to think about revenge. We tend to think about how we could pay back that which has been done to us. But some of us, the ones who may say, well, I don't, I'm not going to take revenge. Some of us just lie in wait. Some of us just kind of hide and say, I'm not going to deal with it. Some of us see those passive-aggressive tendencies coming out. They say, they'll get theirs. Just wait. This is not David's attitude here. David comes before the Lord, not taking that posture, not taking that posture that's just so familiar to me and to you. And he brings this complaint before the Lord. He brings these actions before the Lord, and he says, Lord, fight for me. Let this unrighteousness, let this wickedness be dealt with 
by your righteous and your mighty hand. For if I raise my hand against them, I will not exact proper judgment, righteous judgment, but you will. So David displays righteousness in this. He calls upon the Lord to take up his shield and his buckler first. Buckler is a, an old wartime tool. started in the Bronze Age, and it was a small shield that you would have for hand-to-hand combat. So he's, he's not being redundant. He's saying, Lord, will you take up your shield for combat And will you also take up this broad shield? Will you take them both up? Because when you fight for me, you will need this small shield. But will you also pick up this great shield so that I can stand behind you? And when the fiery darts of the evil come my way, I will also be found safe in your shadow. He says, rise up for my help, O Lord. Literally, when it says, when it speaks of the javelin and the spear here, it says, draw your spear and your javelin in verse 3. It's saying, take your spear, O Lord, and block the way as if we were in a ravine and the enemy was flooding in. And you would take your spear and you would block the way that so they could not continue to come in like a flood. And so in verse 4, let them be put to shame and dishonor, those who seek my life. What do we make of this? Again, David is saying, let this judgment not be exacted in our own terms, but let me call on him who is righteous and let this judgment belong to him. Let him put them to shame, which have sought to bring shame not only to David, but to David's house. David being the anointed one, and therefore bringing shame unto the Lord God himself. But when we think about David asking the Lord to then exact this righteous judgment upon his enemies, we are faced with a difficult truth here, are we not? The difficult truth is that God will be glorified, period. God will be glorified, the end, full stop. He will be glorified in salvation. He will be glorified when he brings salvation to his people. Is that not what David is saying in verse 3? Say to my soul, O Lord, I am your salvation. God will be glorified in that. He is glorified when he saves. But the difficult truth is that God is also glorified in judgment. And that it's difficult for our hearts and our minds to wrap themselves around. Because God is holy. He is righteous. He is the judge of all the earth who shall do right. And so in his righteousness, when he exacts judgment, it is good. And it brings glory to him. It is because he is the king. He is all worth. 
He is weighed in this glory. His plans will not be foiled. He will not be brought to shame. But he is, not also, he is also not arrested or bound by evil in the world. He is able, as king, as the righteous king, to deal with evil and wickedness. And so that's why he takes up David's cause here. That's why he fights for David here. If you would like to consider these things a little bit more, and you say, is God really glorified in judgment? Wouldn't he be more glorified if he just saved everyone? If that were the case, then he would be turning aside from his own holiness, his own righteous standing, his own right laws, his own kingship, his own role as creator and sustainer of all things. He is glorified in judgment, and we see that in Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation chapter 19, it begins this way. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. That sounds pleasant. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. What? Do we not have here praise being Sung because judgment has been exacted. This is difficult. This is praise because Babylon, the great prostitute, which is known as this faithless and godless people, in that generation, we see here that God's judgment has been brought about, and we see that God's people, meaning we who know Him, when we will be with Him at the end of all things, that we will praise Him, that we will say hallelujah because the final judgment has occurred. Again, bear with me. I know this is difficult, but let's move into this a little bit because it, we can understand through this much more about the righteous nature of who our God is. In this psalm, David is speaking about judgment that would happen in a temporal sense. 
Judgment that would happen when you long for judgment to happen. When would you long to be judged? David says in Psalm 96, so that we would be judged, he's longing to be judged. Why would you long to be judged? Why would you long to be judged in this life? You would long to be judged when there was evil and wrong being done to you and there was no righteous judge that would hear your case even though you were absolutely right in all that you have done there is none who would hear your case there is none who would act on your behalf there is no righteous judge that would hear and so David when he is longing for this for God to come it is because all of the earthly powers that could bring this right fulfillment this right judgment to this situation have been exhausted and he calls upon the judge of all the earth to stand in judgment over him and over those who have done ill because he knows that God will hear. He knows that God will answer. He knows that God will execute justice appropriately. And so he says in verse 5, let these wicked ones, as we were speaking about, let them be like chaff in the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Again, He's saying, let my enemies be taken away like little dust in the wind. And let the angel of the Lord chase them away. That is very, very strong language. And let them be like dust. There's two applications, though, from this for us as believers. The first application is when you stand in the shadow of the Almighty, when David calls upon the angel of the Lord to be the one who protects him, do you know and could there ever be a more safe and a more secure place to be? God will protect you. He certainly will. When you call upon his name, he will answer. When David asked for the angel of the Lord to lead them away, to drive them away even, he's hearkening back to passages like Exodus 14, when God's people are being led out of Egypt, and they are led by a pillar of fire and a cloud, and it says the angel of the Lord did this. But what happens when they are pursued? What happens when they are in danger? It says that the angel of the Lord then went from the front of the people to the rear of the people and separated the Egyptians who were pursuing them by chariots to destroy them. And he created a pillar of black darkness and it made the Israelites unable to be touched or found. The angel of the Lord 
I believe in these scenarios is what we see as the pre-incarnate Christ Jesus coming and protecting his people. He has not ceased to be our protector even in these days and in these times. When we call upon him, he is not far off. He will answer. And so David's great confidence that God would fight for him can be our great confidence because of who Jesus Christ is for us. The second application. There are none that are righteous. This is good news. There's none that are righteous. No, not one, the Scripture tells us. All people must come to repentance before Him. Jesus says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. But knowing this, and knowing that God will execute justice, and that He will judge the world, for He is coming to judge the world, Should we not then be about our Father's business, knowing that the only reason, the only way that we have this righteousness and that we we know that we are safe in the Beloved, that we know that we are forgiven, that the righteousness of that the judgment of God does not still reside upon our shoulders, is that we are found in Christ. So should we not be about our Father's business in proclaiming Jesus Christ to every creature, proclaiming that there is no righteousness found in man, but there is only righteousness and hope and salvation found in one name. Isaiah 45 says this, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. I am the Lord God, and there is no none other is what God tells us there. And so, the words upon our lips, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. He's a God of righteousness, but He is a God also mighty to save. Two applications for a difficult truth about God's justice and His righteousness. But do we not see more of Jesus Christ in this passage? Do we not see Him standing out? Well, I do. And we can very often see David as a type or a picture of Jesus Christ and who He is and what He said because Jesus Christ was to come in this line of David to be the one and only king who would always reign. For the promise was made to David that there would be that there would not be a man, that he would not lack a man upon the throne. God's covenant with David. So where do we see Jesus Christ and how do we apply what is said there in this particular passage? I'm going to work down to verse 15. Beginning at verse 10, though. It says, all my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him? Who is too strong for him? The poor and the needy 
from him who robs him. David says, who, who is looking after the poor? Who is seeing those that are in need? Did Jesus not come to call those who are poor? Did he not say, come to me, those who are poor, those who are heavy laden? Come, and, in, and he tells us to even invite the poor in when um, they are invited to dine. Jesus is one who has said, I have come, I have come to, if I can quote this correctly, I have come to bring light out of darkness, I have come to, uh, to exalt the poor, I have come to help the poor, is what he's saying there, I can't quote it exactly, so you'll have to forgive me on there, so I'll be, we'll figure that out in a minute, <clears throat> but in verse 11, Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me things that I don't know. David says, witnesses have, have risen up and they've said things that are not true about me. Is this not the same that they did to the Lord Jesus Christ? Did they not bring false witness upon him about who he is? And those witnesses brought him into court, brought him into the court of Pontius Pilate even. And in verse 12... They repay me for evil for good. My soul is bereft. Jesus came as one who healed. He came as one who was said, He is a blessed one. He is the one who has laid down his life for the sheep. He is one who healed. He is one who raised the dead. He is God in flesh who dwelt among us. He is Emmanuel. And what did he receive for this that he has done? But he received lashing. He received scourging. He received spit in the face. He received blows to his cheeks. They struck him. And in verse 13, David says, But I, when... They were sick. I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. Did Jesus not, as David saying, I prayed for my enemies? Did he not say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks? Did he not intercede on behalf of those who smote him? Did he not say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do at the crucifixion? In verse 14, David says, I went about as though I grieved for my friend and my brother. As one who laments for his mother, I bowed down in the morning. In verse 15, at my stumbling they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Verse 14 and 15 together. David says, I grieve for them. 
those who were my enemies. How could they turn against me? I was the one who grieved for them. I was the one who cared for them. I was the one who comforted them. Now they seek my life. Like Saul who sought David to kill him like a partridge in a field. David being the same one who had comforted Saul at his bedside with the harp. And now they do this. Now they seek my life. The one, this one seeks my life. The ones seek my life that I counted as a brother or lamented with them as my own mother. Jesus is associated with us. We did not esteem him. We did not praise him. We crowned him with a crown of thorns. We pierced his brow. We nailed his hands upon a Roman cross. David says he stumbled as they rejoiced and they gathered. The crowds in Jerusalem gathered together. They watched the man of sorrows along the way to Golgotha. They saw him stumble. We saw Simon of Cyrene pick up the crossbar and carry that which he could not carry anymore because of his own bruises, because of his own bleeding, because of his own stripes. Though we esteemed him not for us and for our salvation, he came down. He, Jesus Christ, He took on himself the judgment that we deserved for being those who did not esteem him. He himself took on the judgment of God that we deserve because we have sinned against a holy and righteous judge. He paid the penalty that we deserve. Now do we see in this difficult passage speaking about the judgment of God, do we see the light of the gospel breaking through that which is difficult, that which seems opaque, that which seems so dark and hopeless? Because that was our estate, dark and hopeless. Ones who have, as David put us, Ones who were walking in darkness and had slippery feet. We were once ones who walked in darkness, but He has come. And He is a great light that has descended. And that judgment that was ours is upon Him. And so now the righteousness that was His alone as God. The perfect righteousness, the right standing that He has as the Son of God is imputed to us. He has taken our condemnation, He has taken our judgment, and He has placed upon us His righteousness. So that we can stand not under the judgment at the throne of God. 
but we can stand as sons and daughters of the king. We are hidden with him, Christ, in God, because of what he has done for us and because of the righteousness that we have in him. So a little bit from a psalm of David, a little bit about righteousness, a little bit about judgment, and a lot about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word that you've given us on this New Year's Day. Lord, in these things which are hard for us to grasp because your own nature is so high above ours. Because you are the transcendent God. You are a God who is holy. You are a God who is righteous. You are a God who is eternal. And yet in your holiness you became imminent. Lord, you came down. Lord, you sent your Son that we should call him Emmanuel, God with us. That in him we should have salvation. That in him we should say, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray and recognize these things, and I pray that they would be true in the hearts of everyone under the sound of the, my voice today. Amen. And amen.